You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You, you know, in, in, in some ways it must have looked like a parade of the walking wounded. And in fact, in some ways it was. A large group of men, mainly middle-aged and above, many of them just literally shuffling, just shuffling along into this huge meeting hall where they were to assemble, around 300 of them. And if we were to ask these men why they were in such poor shape, not all of them, but many of them, we would have heard stories of floggings. We would have heard stories of, um, of burning different parts of the body. Uh, one account of this historical moment talks about a man whose eyes had been gouged out. This was a, an incredible group of people. Come with me back to the year 325 AD. And we're in the town of Nicaea, which now today is Iznik in northwest Turkey. These 300 or so men are all leading officials of the church as it was then. The church had been going for about 300 years. These were all bishops invited to Nicaea by the Emperor Constantine. If you know your history, he's the first Roman emperor to be converted and he declared Christianity as the religion of the empire. And he asked these guys to assemble, these bishops to assemble in Nicaea for a reason that I'll mention in just a moment. But the question is, why were these men shuffling? Why were these men in so much pain, many of them? Why were they so physically in bad shape? The reason is because during the previous century, there had been not one, not two, but three concentrated eras of persecution for the church. The most recent had been between the years 303 and 313, just about 12 years before the, this, this meeting in Nicaea. And that particular one was very savage and very severe, and it was aimed particularly at the church hierarchy. And so many of these men would have been taken aside Many of their colleagues would have been killed, but many of these men would have been caught up in skirmishes and beaten within an inch of their life. And as I say, in one case where they believe the Emperor Constantine actually kissed the cheek of one of these bishops who had his eyes gouged out. This is a, this is a very, very, it's a dramatic scene. It's the first Council of Nicaea, which I'm sure some of you, if you've dabbled in church history, you'd be familiar with that phrase. So here's Constantine and he's called them together. The persecution has been over for 12 years, but now the church has a new enemy. It's not an enemy from without. It's an enemy from within. There are many controversies raging within the church. Sad, but we have to admit that that was, church has been through lots of eras of great internal eruption. This was one of them. Lots of arguments, lots of debates about all sorts of theological issues, particularly the divinity of Jesus, his divinity versus his humanity. That was a big one. And Constantine wisely, having recently come to faith in Christ, he thought, let's get it right at the top. So he called these bishops together. Just over 300 of them came to Nicaea. And uh, it's recorded that his opening words were these. He, he chaired the whole thing. I rejoice to see you here. Yet I should be more pleased to see unity and affection among you. That's what I really want to see. Well, he was probably looking for a quick fix. But in actual fact, they met for six weeks. 
six weeks, day and night, thrashing out these theological issues. And they came up with one very, very well-known announcement, statement. Many of you with a Catholic or an Anglican background could probably recite it right now if I pass the microphone to you. It's called the Nicene Creed. And I'm going to just share with you about 50% of it. It's just a simple statement. Look at this. Well, not so simple, but this is what they said. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. You get the background from which all this came, thrashing this out. The only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. You clear on that? Really driving it home. Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Very wordy, as many creeds are. But guys, can you see that the meaning behind these words was crucial for these early church leaders? For them, it wasn't just a matter of theological semantics. This wasn't just another cruisy get-together of ministers up on the Gold Coast or, or somewhere. Like, this was crucial because these guys had suffered. These men had put their lives on the line. Many of their colleagues had been killed, not to mention thousands of their church members. What have they done that for? They put their bodies on the line. The question was, you know, have they taken these huge risks? Have they made these great sacrifices for just a good man or for a God-man? That's what they were thrashing out. That's why this conference of Nicaea, this council of Nicaea was so crucial. Of course, what these bishops expressed in a lengthy creed, the Apostle John put rather succinctly in the reading which James brought to us, 14 verse of John chapter 1, the word became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. To put it in an even more compact form, the infinite became an infant. The infinite became an infant. And friends, that's what we're celebrating at Christmas, of course. And this belief is at the very epicentre of our faith. The theological term is incarnation, as many of us are familiar. And even the Oxford Dictionary, purely secular, describes incarnation as the embodiment of God the Son in human flesh as the Christ. This is the miracle of the manger. As Isaiah predicted, a child is born, a son is given. And this assertion, this is the pivotal point in human history. The infinite becomes an infant. It demands careful scrutiny. Ultimately, it demands a response. Do I believe that or do I not believe it? Or am I kind of lingering somewhere in between? Friends, this is the confronting this confronting truth, this confronting truth contains a powerful, or, or many powerful revelations, revelations about many things. I've chosen four of them this morning. First of all, this startling truth reveals God's heart. That's the first thing. It reveals God's heart. It tells us in no uncertain manner what He thinks of us, how He views us. 
Now, that's critical. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you're worshipping a deity, it's critical as to how you view the deity. And in many ancient religions and even in some faiths today, you know, gods are feared. And people live in fear and terror of the God. And everything bad that happens in life is attributed to the God. He's punishing me again. That's how people view the God they're worshipping. It's all about fear and, and, and terror. Well, even in the Old Testament, we read that even the ancient Israelites had moments when they had that sort of view of God. But when Jesus came, the matter was clarified once and for all. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes, you know the rest. Friends, when we gain an insight into someone's heart, and that's what close relationships are all about, getting a real insight into somebody's heart. When we get an appreciation of their heart, we we discover their innermost thoughts because they're prepared to share them with us. We discover about their desires, their motivation in life. As you trace the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, it's just one never-ending, relentless pursuit on the part of God to redeem and restore his fallen creation for whom he has a deep and eternal love. But of course, to, to try and understand God's heart and why he loves us so much, we need to be aware of our need. And that's the second thing that's clearly revealed in this truth about the infinite becoming an infant. It's our need of restoration, reconciliation, that helps to explain why God cares so much. He really wants to see his creation, his beautiful creation, returned to its rightful place. He wants the huge gulf closed. He wants the relationship restored. The fall recorded in Genesis saw humankind estranged from God, from a loving creator and in desperate need. That's where humankind was after the fall, in desperate need. And as someone said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If it had been money, he would have sent an economist. If it had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so he sent a saviour. And in sending that saviour, as we discussed in the message on the, the miracle of the, of the method, God could have chosen a more spectacular, more exciting way than a little baby. Could have come as a mighty, conquering, political giant. Could have come as a, as a mighty king, just instantly beamed down. Could have come as a superhero, as we, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But he came as a baby. And in so doing, he identified with us in every way, even to the point of conception, although, of course, his conception was in itself of a miraculous nature. Friends, this is at the heart of, of basic communication, isn't it? This is at the heart of effective communication. If you want to get something across to somebody, if you want to really get involved with somebody, what do you do? You identify with them. You sit where they sit. You listen to their stories. You, you try to get into their heart. You try to understand where they're coming from. It's basic communication. That's what God did. At 19 years of age, I was working in the Perth office of BP Australia as a commercial cadet. And uh, part of my training was to go and have experience in every single area of the great organisation called BP in those days. And so uh, 
I knew that one of the sections I'd be going to was what was called the coding section. And I was a, a little bit daunted by that because I'd be there for about two months and I knew what, what happened in the coding section. People went crazy in the coding section. If you're old enough to remember, coding was where, and these guys would sit around a huge table, about 10 guys, and all day, every day, they'd come and throw piles of invoices onto that counter, onto that table. And then it was the job of the, of the coding person, the coding clerk, to take the invoices, look up the code, the computer code for the various products and write them in. It was just so boring. And this was, the, this was stage one to then moving on to the full data processing where, you know, they had computers in those days like we have on our desk as big as this room uh, or half as big as this room. Well, not quite, but you know, they were big, they were very big. Um, I go back a fair way in the technology era. And uh, <laughs> scary stuff. And so this was coding. And I knew they, my, my boss my, said, Graham, you've got to go there. I said, well, I won't take too much, uh, won't take me two months to figure out what's going on there. He said, well, you just, that's part of the deal. And then I got there and sure enough, morale was pretty low. The supervisor was a great guy and he tried to keep everybody happy. But these were some people who were, by virtue of their limitations, were kind of struggling kind of people. And BP had found work for some who were fairly, I wouldn't say challenged, but they were, it was work that, that they were suited for in that context. And then one day something happened. In the midst of this poor morale and this uh, kind of low image of this department, the assistant state manager, Mr Bruce Dixon, made an appearance. We only got about half an hour's word that he'd be coming down. And I'd only ever seen him once. And he was second in command of the great BP organisation in the state of Western Australia. And he swept into the room. And uh, he spent a considerable amount of time talking to each and every worker. He spent time with the supervisor. He asked intelligent questions about what happened in this, in this particular section. He finished off by affirming the role of coding. He said, have you ever seen yourselves in the total picture? Let me explain to you why your work is so important. Now, friends, I don't remember much from my 19th year in BP Australia, but I remember Bruce Dixon. still remember his name, Bruce Dixon. That man came down from the lofty heights of the 12th floor there in St George's Terrace and came down to the lowly coding section. And in the remaining weeks of my time there, that section took on a whole new look because somebody had come down and identified and communicated and said, you guys are doing okay. We're noticing you. It was fantastic. Well, of Jesus, Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, verse 7. Of his own free will, this is Jesus, he gave up all he had. He took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. The infinite becomes an infinite. This fact reveals something about God's heart, something about our need. Thirdly, it reveals something about the way home. You see, God had a plan, of course, from the foundation of time, a plan to ensure those whom he had so lovingly created would have every opportunity to enjoy life with him now and in eternity. That was his plan. Part of the plan was to form the nation of Israel. 
that magnificent call of God to Abraham. And he said, your, your descendants will be like the, the, the sands, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. It'll just be multitudinous. It'll be phenomenal. God also said, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And of course, they were blessed because the coming of Jesus Christ was that blessing. And then you look at Jesus' ministry. Throughout his ministry, he had this incredibly effective way of explaining the way home, mainly through the use of his parables. These simple little stories which used everyday images and items to make a very, very powerful, deep spiritual point. Parables like the prodigal son, the boy who broke his father's heart, goes off into the far country, but the father welcomes him home, provides a way home even for that wayward boy. Parables like the lost coin, the lost sheep, all involving a search, a search that would have stunned the ancient hearers. Particularly the one about the 99 sheep and in the fold and one missing. And, and Jesus asked the question, what does he do? You've got 99 all safe. There's one out in the, in the thicket somewhere. What does he do? And they would have all said, well, leave him. I mean, that's part of shepherding. You, know, you can't bring them all in the fold. It's too dangerous out there. Anything can happen at the night. And you've got to take care of the 99 that are left. That would have been the answer. Jesus said, no, no. He goes, he leaves those and goes looking for the one. And they would have gone, what? <laughs> really? We wouldn't do that. Same with the lost coin. Tears the place apart, looking for one little $2 coin. Forget it. You know. Kids probably spend it, don't worry about it. No, no. Relentless search. This parable and all those dealing with lost and found, there's a whole series of them. Friends, they speak directly to the plan God has to bring the lost children home through Jesus. And the plan is all about grace. It's not about what we can do, it's about what he has done. Powerful, that's grace. The infinite becomes an infant. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, providing the way home, the way back to God for all who believe. All there in baby Jesus, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. This startling truth also reveals complexity via simplicity. The incarnation is pretty complex. I mean, men and women study this all their lives. They write theses on this. I studied it for four years full time in college, came out with more questions than answers, came out with strong conviction, mind you. But I mean, it's a very complex area. There's been thousands of books written. And look, it's fair to say there are no conclusive answers this side of heaven. What did it mean for God to step into the form of a baby? Who was looking after the universe? What if there'd been some cosmic crisis? Raises all kinds of, the whole kenotic theory, kenosis, you know, giving out. Who was there when God gave out and became a baby. It's, it's very, very complex. But God, in his infinite wisdom, broke this mind-blowing, incredibly complex concept of the incarnation down into something everybody can understand. A little baby. We all love them. Well, most of the time. <laughs> They arouse deep emotions within us. They provide us with great joy. Babies. It's where we all started. It's fantastic. A baby is in itself very complex. Yes, I'll agree with that. But at the same time, it's very simple with the most basic of needs. A baby is helpless. A baby is vulnerable. A baby is totally dependent on those around them. Friends, that's the, that's the extent to which God was prepared to go. 
for you and me. Vulnerable, helpless, dependent. Can you believe it? That's the length he went to to get his message across. He literally stripped right back to the very basics of human existence to get his message across. Stripped right back. Take it as far as you want, back to naked as the day he was born. How ironic that while God was stripping back at that first Christmas, we are inclined to go to extraordinary lengths to dress Christmas up. He was stripping back. We, we go to great lengths to dress it up, the trees, the lights, the wrapping paper, the extravagant gifts. Do you hear yesterday, Australians are going to spend $1 billion per day, today, tomorrow and Tuesday. $1 billion. My contribution to that will be very small. And so, oh, because it's already been quite large, Matthew. Don't, no, no, no cynicism needed. Uh, well, it's been moderate. Well, now look, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Of course, we've got trees, we've got lights. It, it's, look, it's, it's great. As long as we don't lose sight of the fact that essentially it's about a baby. That's it. First and foremost, it's about a baby who grew to be a man, who showed us how to live who had such a perfect relationship with his heavenly father in surrender and submission, he showed us what that's, he modelled that for us. He was prepared to die on a cross for our sins. He was raised to life. He lives today in the, in the lives of his followers through the Holy Spirit. One day he's going to come back and wrap all this up. That's the gospel. Hey, then I see in Creed's pretty complex, would you agree? Yeah, all that wording just to... Get it right. They try to capture, try to get the incarnation into words. Let's get it, let's get it right. It's like a Rubik's Cube. Let's get all the pieces in. There it is. There's the incarnation. Well, it doesn't quite do that. And you know, in the early days of Churches of Christ, we had a, a saying, we used to put it on our notice boards, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. People like Warren Murray can remember those days uh, because that was a big part of our movement. We rejected creeds because we saw the inadequacy of creeds. They can be helpful to kind of point in a certain direction. But when you start making judgments about people on which creed they believe, and when you start enforcing creedal recitations as a basis for salvation, then we lose it. And one of the reasons why we went with no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, because the Bible is the it's a, such a great reference point on these sort of issues. Look at the way, once again, as we close, look at the way John puts it. No Nicene Creed here. Simply, the Word became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. Friends, that is the essential truth of what we're celebrating over this next few days. Enjoy all the big stuff. Have a great time and dress up as much as you can. But just remember that God dressed down. He dressed right down to communicate a message of love and acceptance and identification. Share that with everybody you can. I sadly feel it gets missed so easily by the vast majority of people. We've got a role to play. Like we said last week, hang out your light, let it shine. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?